1: Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Big Blue Banter podcast with myself and my co-host, Nick Turchin. Here to break down the latest and breaking and Giants news, and more importantly, here to review some All-22 Coaches film. A fun, fun week for both of us looking back at this Giants film. Even though uh, the last, I don't know, 20 to 25 minutes of this game was, in my opinion, almost meaningless. Once a team's up 40 to nothing, it's hard for them to really play the same brand of football they were playing to get to 40 to nothing I mean there's not much on the line at that point but for those first three and a half quarters of Giants football this was easily easily the best game they put on film all season without a doubt complete offense defense special teams Um, everything was there for the Giants in this game so it was a really fun game to break down Uh, on that note I'll start things off by kicking it over to Nick how are you doing today Nick (laughs)
2: <laughs> Doing good, like you said, good uh, a good week to watch, a good week to get involved in it, and uh, yeah, by far their best overall performance.
1: Yeah, so let's jump right into this review of this uh, giant forty to sixteen win over the Redskins, a game which they jumped out to a forty to nothing lead. Um, let's start with the Pat Shermer and his offensive play calling, which I think has really greatly improved in the second half of the season on point you know in line with the offensive line improving in the second half of the season really it all starts up front Pat Shermer said that Dave Gettleman said that it's the truth look at the Minnesota Vikings this season after last season you know people blaming it on John DeFilippo. Uh maybe that's played a role you know moving on from Pat Shermer to DeFilippo and Case Keenum the Kirk Cousins but you know when I watch these Viking games I see Stationary quarterback who can't get out of his own way, uh, you know, who just struggles under pressure with a bad offensive line that ranks number 30 in pass blocking, according to PFF, and a run game that ranks number 24 in run blocking, and they can't get get things going in the run game, and that really kills their whole offense. And that was the Giants' offense with the first eight weeks of the season. But it's not the case anymore. And we're starting to see some really serious improvement from Pat Shermer as a play caller based on the fact that he's getting the ability now to to have some success on offense via the offensive line. So, you know, I thought once again, like I said last week, he gets into these play calling grooves that were really impressive. There were numerous plays from this game that really stood out to me, obviously. One that was broken down by Mark Bullock, the Redskins beat writer on Twitter, which I thought was interesting, was the red zone touchdown to Sterling Shepard where he was wide open. This is like the first time I've seen a giant receiver wide open in over five years, it feels like, with Ben McAdoo here. And that's a joke, but it's probably it's probably pretty damn close. And, you know, on this play... Shermer saw in his film study the week before the Philadelphia Eagles ran the very exact formation and the very exact play in the red zone with double slants from those two outside receivers. Pat Shermer aligned in the same position, ran those looked like he was going to run those same double slants because he knew the Redskins would trail, would would follow the receivers on the double slants into the, you know, into the middle of the field in the end zone. Uh, Instead, uh, Sterling Shepard broke back to the outside for a wide open touchdown. And when I rewatched this play in all 22, this is something Mark Bullock actually didn't point out. Eli Manning had an excellent play fake here to freeze the defender. And that was partially the reason why Shepard was wide open. But you know, there were a lot of plays like this that stood out to me from Pat Sherman, where I really think does get in a nice groove play calling. And, you know, I wasn't so sold on him at the beginning of the season. And I did always hold the caveat that I won't judge him until he gets his quarterback. But, you know, I've seen a lot of things I like from Shermer in the second half and a lot of things I like uh, from a play calling standpoint against the Redskins. what was your take overall on Pat Shermer as a play caller in this game Nick
2: uh I think yeah, I think you saw some of the wrinkles um like you mentioned with the offset stack formation in the red zone and 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 I'm actually looking to i want to go back and check Carolina tape to see. If Shula did that, because I'm 95% sure he's the red zone coordinator for this team, and just because it's kind of it's evolved and it's and it's it's showing, and it's a little bit of Panthers 2015, 2017. Um, but yeah, no. In terms of Shermer, uh, like it. What I actually liked was probably a little bit different. Um, was the ability to to understand that the line was destroying the the in the running game. Yeah. Uh, and, and exploit that by going back to that. People say, like, you know, the more rushing – the more you run in one half, it actually helps you in the second half. And although math really can't correlate that, the quants can't correlate that, a lot of people believe that. I think this game is one where they were ex- – and during on some plays where they're running inside zone, they're just exploiting the, the Washington front, which is not a, good, a front, an easy front to run against. No. So, so then – yeah, so he presses that. And I think that's the best part is that he – kind of knew to come back to the point where they were running outside zone into the boundary and, like, just doing things that, you know, they haven't done really all year, and you're able to see that. And then it, it did slow in the second half, obviously, with the lead and the, and the, the game change with the, with the big lead. And, and and basically the Redskins responded too. You could see their pride was a little hurt. This is the first time I'd seen the Redskins all year, and I haven't watched every game, but I watched most, um, where I saw them kind of broken on defense. And, uh, and that was pretty cool to see.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that leads me right into my next point, which is what you just said. I mean, the Giants run game, the Giants run blocking Saquon Barkley, his decisions as a runner. It's all improved and it all continues to improve. You said it best. They took over this game in the run game via the run game, via the offensive line up front, the two tight ends, Scott Simonson and Rhett Ellison, who did a great job in 12 personnel blocking, and Saquon Barkley and his ability as a runner. And, you know, there were people, you know, and there were some caveats when they first started this little run after the bye. Oh, They played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers front and the 49ers front, which really aren't the NFL's worst fronts, but they're not the best fronts. But then these past two weeks, they took it to the Chicago Bears, who were fully healthy on the defensive front, And on the defense as a whole, fully healthy, one of the NFL's best defense. They took it to him in the run game. Again, against the Redskins, a defensive front that's very underrated and a defense overall that's very underrated. They took over the game via the run game. And you see it when you watch this team on all 22. You see When I ran it back, you see it. This run blocking looks a lot different than it did at the beginning of the season. They're all working together. They move cohesively. And just the massive improvements out of guys like Will Hernandez and – Nate solder really stand out to me. to me in this game, Nick, I thought this was actually will Hernandez's best game. Is that online with what you saw? Yeah if, if not best, yeah, top two um,
2: and solder too uh, in the run game. yeah the athleticism are all the big plays. You know, uh, um, uh, Shepard makes that great block in the split zone touchdown run, which everyone talked about from Baldy across the board. But they kind of ignore, like, the two Hernandez and Solder really handle their guys. And the key thing that, to, that Dan brings up, though, is when, when you're running 12 personnel and you're up against the Redskins' base defense, that five-tech defensive end slash defensive tackle, whatever you want to call them, that's, a, that's been the pride of the Redskins. That was basically Deron Payne or John Allen, depending on which side they went to. Um, and and basically solder was against that and Hernandez was against that and that's a very formidable kind of way to, to jump in and, or a way to attack this defense and so they did that and, and like we said' it's, it was those two that were, that were that were flashing the most although it wasn't the maybe the flashiest blocks right but it was it was basically grinding and we were able to get I was more impressed almost too with um, Barkley's 10 eight, five to ten yard runs that he had the explosiveness there was yeah. huge. And he wasn't hitting much of a crease. It wasn't like it was the holes were wide open as they were on that
1: one huge touchdown. Um, so it was it was cool. It was it was very cool to see. Yeah, you know you haven't seen a Giants offense for really any stretch of games, at least like they have over these last five games. And of course, you know that second half versus Philadelphia, they didn't actually get this going as much. But obviously, there were you know some factors in play as to why the run game wasn't going in that second half. But really, over this five game stretch, for the most part, you haven't seen a Giants team. Block like this in the run game. You haven't seen a, or even I'll take that a step further. You haven't seen a run game this successful and able to impose their will on imposing defenses, no matter who they're playing. Really, when you factor in the Bears and the and the Redskins as their most recent two opponents in so long. I mean, you really haven't seen this since the 2009 season, and that that seems ridiculous, but it's the actual truth. I mean, and even in 2009, I'm not sure it was there. It was definitely there in 2008 and 2007. Uh, with those lines with Chris Snee and David Deal and um, and Richie soybird and and Sean O'Hara and Kareem McKenzie and with you know they used a lot more twelve and heavy personnel those years they were a run first team they had Brandon Jacobs Derek Ward and Ahmad Bradshaw one season they had two one thousand yard rushers one of those years with uh, with Jacobs and Shaw but or with Jacobs and Ward actually but you know you haven't really seen these, this stretch of football from a run blocking standpoint, from just an overall run health, the health of a run game standpoint since 2008, 2009. And it's really impressive to see one person, uh, one player uh, in addition to the ones we've touched on, we've obviously touched on, and you know, you don't want to discredit the job by Sterling Shepard who made those two awesome blocks. The one down the field on Josh Norman, 40 yards down the field in the 52 yarder, obviously the one that helped seal Barkley 78 yarder, but you know, I, I don't want to take credit away from Scott Simonson and Rhett Ellison, because they did such an excellent job blocking. I thought. Uh, from the tight end position in this game nick um is that something you also noticed like the a good game out of ellison and simonson
2: yeah definitely i think um you know when you're having if you're if you're if you're again you go back to the base part if the teams playing base personnel those outside linebackers out there are nine techs and right, so they're, they're far, and that's that's going to fall on the tight end for the most part. So that's what you're talking about, and you're talking about Preston Smith and Ryan Kerrigan, who are no slashes. We keep saying that. We say the same thing that the, that the front is good, but it's like it's amazing to see Smith in the second half. He woke up, and clearly somebody challenged him, and so that's what that's what he usually is like. And and to handle them like the way they did, yeah, for sure. And and I think yeah, the overall versatility because you saw. Um, Shepherd, or sorry, You saw Engram mixed in in 11 personnel, and then you saw Ellison a fair amount in key positions, key right. blocks. And that's pretty cool because, again, it's not just a kind of crap on Engram, but it's like, hey, they have a piece who can come in interchangeably and really make a difference when they want to run bootleg or that type of thing. And that, that was definitely there.
1: Right. Yep. And you and you hear it. You hear like, you know, you hear after the game, Josh Norman, the Redskins quarterback say, you know, they took us out to the woodshed like my grandma would, which is, a, you know, or I'm not even going to get into that analogy, but and beat us down. And it's like, you know, when's the last time you've seen a Giants team physically impose their will on another team? And that to me is such a good sign. And that's exactly what Pat Shermer and Dave Gentleman preached this January or whenever they took over, that they were going to bring back a physical style of football. That's what the Giants had in 07, 08. Really, the last stretch of games where they were really good from that postseason run in 07 through 08, where they were 11 and 1 until Plaxo Beres shot himself, and then a little bit of 09 at the beginning, but you know, even though they tailed off, so it was really just that stretch. And you know, they won the Super Bowl in 2011 and a season that was kind of more of an outlier from the 2010 through 2017 years. Um, but and they had that physical brand and they're bringing it back, and it's really good to see, in my opinion. And it's not even, you know, a full, you know, it's not all there yet, it's there. They could make a change this offseason at center. They could make a change at right guard, upgrade there. They could make a change at right tackle. We don't know yet. And they could also bring in another tight end like a Simonson-Ellison type who can really help them in the run game. So this is what their identity is right now. Eli Manning's admitted it. Pat Shermer's admitted it. And this is the best identity for this football team with the personnel they have. I really do believe that um, in this game, Nick. But, you know, that leads me to my next point where you weren't actually as excited. We talk about Evan Ingram, the Giants' 2017 first-round pick. Um, and you did a little bit of a more extensive breakdown of his game. He played 33 snaps. Um, you know, Red Ellison played 33. Scott Simonson played 22. The snap counts are a little skewed because of the second half of the game. The Giants really, you know, after the mid midway through the third quarter point, they, they weren't playing uh, their, their A game. They rested their starters. But what were your takeaways on Ingram? Why were you a little, you know, kind of disappointed in his performance against the Redskins?
2: uh i think it, it actually it's more of just kind of the same for him um i broke down two plays on uh on twitter that that show them running the mesh concept um and both against swearinger uh from in man basically from the first half to the second half and and this is probably this is more attribute to play design but the second half it's the big game where he gains probably like 30 yards or so going down the field and um it just it, the, It's kind of stuff that we've talked on this podcast before where it's it's difficult for him to win early with his lack of kind of burst or get off and his lack of suddenness in his moves and then his use of hands as a wide receiver. It's just, it's kind of not panning out. So you, you, what you have to do is you kind of have to find ways to get him in space or put him in space in the formation. So when he was, when the first play, when they're, when they're running it from a mesh from a bet, a bunch concept and a mesh, he's the shell crosser coming across the field. He can't, even come close to fighting at all um, through Swearinger's jam. And people are going to, guys are going to get jammed, okay? And Swearinger's a good player. But what you're seeing with him is you're not seeing an evolution in his technique, whether it's using chop moves, swim moves, you're not seeing those, you're not seeing growth there. And when you see growth stale out, I think you see, you know, it's it's just tough for anyone at any level and and especially for a rookie who needs that to get better. And so I think that he's going to continue to be a, a gimmicky gadget, not gimmicky, wrong word. Gadget piece, um, a chess piece to move around to specifically plan for, but not to be like we're saying as a as that two way uh, tight end that can kind of do it from all different types of positions on the field.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a good, it's something to to consider and something to worry about, Nick. In my opinion, at least, because you spend your 1st round pick on him, and it's not necessary. It doesn't really look to me right now like he fits what the Giants' offensive identity wants to be. Um, at least at the tight end position. Now he has that second gear. I mean, he showed it. Yeah, third gear, fourth gear, third fourth gear. He just breaks away. The play he made, the first play he made down the right sideline, that was unbelievable breakaway speed, in my opinion, based on the angle. But you know, it just—I don't see that how it fits really as a tight end. How he fits as a tight end in this in the scheme, really. Um, and you're seeing it. You know, he's not playing the snaps you would hope for, for somebody that you, you invest such a major asset in. So, you know, I really am more open than others are to the idea of kind of having him slim down 10, 15 bounds and move into more of like a Marcus Colston, Larry Fitzgerald later in his career, how Bruce Arians used him slot type receiver. Um, it sounds crazy, uh, but that's kind of where I'm at with him. To I think that would maximize his talent, getting him a little bit faster um, so he can really, use, you know, have more of those plays where he catches the ball in space and then turns them into bigger plays. Um, I, at this point, I'm not sure that, you know, the idea of having him emerge as you know, somebody who you have on the line with 12 personnel consistently for a run first team that has the offense going through Barkley is really a long-term plan. So that's my, that would be my concern there with England Nick.
2: Yeah. And the other side of it too, is I just, um, I don't know if I said this on this podcast cause I wrote a piece on it way back in like August, but, um, Penn State used to play for Gusecki, who's who's a different type of tight end, but similar in the sense that he is really tough blocking. He's terrible. Like Gusecki's really bad. Engram's just Ingram's very willing. Just I just think technique wise he's not there. Um, but it was basically a double move downfield, and it was a it was a vertical concept. So with dance kind of tapping into is is there's not a ton of vertical concepts past fifteen to twenty yards really in football period, but specifically too within the Giants. Most of their concepts are hitting within the eight to twelve yard range. It's not all just quick game, but it's down the it's not as much down the field. And and these plays are there are timing and rhythm plays that exist for vertical concepts. You're just not seeing it. So yeah, that's where the overlap is not there. And and I don't I don't really know. I just think the only wish I issue I'd have with him in the slot is I still think that short in the short area he needs to get better at the catch point too um he's his hands are his hands aren't really sure so that's my that would be my only hesitation with the slot other than if you'd be willing and basically if his body would be able to do it um it's tough for guys that you know to be able to lose that type of weight and basically keep their the rest of their their traits there too
1: yeah i mean it's um it's it It'll be something that that, that there will be definitely more discussion on this offseason because they got to find a better way, I think, to utilize his skill set and just the asset they invested in him. But another player who stood out to me on the offensive side of the ball was Corey Coleman, Nick. Um, this was actually the most snaps he played this season. He was in the game for 40, uh, 42 offensive snaps behind Sterling Shepard, who had 43, and ahead of guys like Benny Fowler and, R- and Russell Shepard with 25th reviews. Obviously, the snap counts are skewed because I think he did play a lot of the second half when the game was out of hand, but you know, he did make plays during his time when the game was still in hand. The first play that really impressed me was the pass interference penalty that they called uh, when the Redskins defender grabbed him, and uh, pulled him down. This was going to be a really good, another really good place to place ball by Eli. And it was going to be a catch for sure. If Coleman's not held, I don't know if he beats the safety with his kind of speed. Who's, Who's, who's coming over and crashing down to the play, or if the safety, or if he goes out of bounds, safety knocks him out of bounds. One of those two things. But then once again, later on, they go right back to the play when when again the Redskins are showing that single high look, and Eli holds off the safety real quick, looking to the right, and then drops the ball in perfectly over the top to Coleman. Once again, beats the one on one man coverage. His separation on these deep balls is great, I think, uh, compared to what I've seen from guys like you know. Russell Shepard, uh, who had some time on the outside earlier in the season. Benny Fowler, plays a little bit on the outside, you know, these type of players. Um, and so he he's an asset. He also made another catch later in the game on just kind of like a, a quick comeback, nothing crazy. But did create a nice separation on that as well. He To me, he's somebody who really uh, offers them, like you said, that ability to make plays when a defense put, you know, has single hire has, is not putting a safety over the top and playing man against him pretty good from, uh, you know, what do you think at least r- with regards to Coleman, from what you saw? And did you notice that as well? Or are you a little bit uh, more timid in your, in your overall take on Coleman?
2: I think maybe a couple
1: degrees down in terms of overall impressedness, but he definitely impressedness doesn't even
2: work in overall, yeah. it is overall evaluate, in my overall view you know, of just the, the catches that he made and when he wasn't making catches. Um, I, I like him. I think that it's it's just uh, his. I think his hands again. Hand consistency is such a big deal, in, in, at this level, and it's crazy. But but yeah. uh, catching the ball is tough, and it's but yeah, that's say, and it's not to say he's been poor. It's just I don't know. I think what they're going to have to see as a trade off. I think when you look at these third wide receivers. It's either like they have one trait that's really really good and you live with the other traits with him i think his trait these traits are much more bland like they're much more middle of the road which is great that that totally works but it's going to become a question if they want that or if they want someone else that has that that bigger trait that maybe even gets more separation because one thing that's surprised me is that he's not getting he's not doing it more easily a lot of these balls, like Manning throws some pretty perfect balls on these throws, and that's great, and he wins. But it's not its not something where he's blowing guys off. And I think the teams – I'm not really analyzing my impression of it. I just think of what the Giants would think, right? It's like those guys, they think that they can draft guys in the third and fourth round with blazing speed that have that one trait that can fit as a, as a gadget in the, as a third or fourth wide receiver versus the guy who's kind of – who has a who has a few more traits, but they're but they're not as basically flashy or as good in one level. So I, I think that's what they're gonna come out on him because he's not he's not taking he's not he has, comparing him to like Shepard, which is not fair, but Shepard's so much more polished and so much more X, Y, and Z. I don't think that I don't project that I don't think Coleman can get there in his career. So you're kind of looking at the ceiling now, I think. Um and that's and that's a question that, that they're gonna that they're gonna that they're gonna you know basically review internally and and make that decision.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we're a little different uh, on our takes on where we're at there, Nick, because I think that the Giants are actually not going to look to moving forward to use these third, fourth-round assets on the wide receiver position just for those, you know, the old type of guys they would take, journal, jern again, jern again, who could, they were hoping could could threaten a defense over the top and help on special teams and those type of players who they wasted picks on earlier in the career. When you can get a guy like Coleman who, you know, they could re-sign to the lowest tender this off as a restricted free agent and pay him 2 million. And I agree. He's not blowing people away separation wise. I guess more so than separation. What's impressed me most about him is that he knows how to finish on deep routes. He's, he does a good job with where he places his body and his footwork. I think on those routes to finish those plays off, you know, there were just far too many times earlier this season when I saw Latimer or whoever, was kind of that in that look where Eli was throwing those deep balls the first half of the season they just weren't they weren't being completed and I don't know if it was because I at least for me it wasn't because I thought the throws were off target it was because I didn't think they receivers really knew how to complete those deep routes and I don't know how I would explain that in in kind of football <laughs> terms but to me it's just something I noticed I noticed when I watch his, his his body control is there I mean it's definitely it's, that's probably what I would say body control yeah and and so
2: that's definitely degrees above I mean certainly in my opinion. Degrees above Fowler, degrees above Joel Davis, degrees above and Shepherd too, the other Shepard's area. Latimer as well. From uh, see, see, that's interesting. I think Latimer's size and overall the way he boxes out. Yeah,
1: he does a good job of using his body for sure. Yeah,
2: so but I know what you I know what you're saying, though. The other side of it is like yeah, you're also getting Balls that you kind of have to go stab a little bit from Manning, and that's just the way life is for most balls in the NFL, yeah. you know, especially with these defensive backs that they're up against. So, sure, no, I, I would, you know, it's not to say I'm down on him, it's just, it's uh, i I, it, it'll be cool to see because if they can make that something, that's an asset that two to three, how many teams have not been able to make something? That's, and that's a, you know, Tyke, um, what's Tyke's last name? The wide receiver mm-hmm. coach. That's that that's a great job by him if they can get that to that position
1: for sure. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, obviously Latimer now is actually re, it's due to return back off of injured reserve Cody Latimer in week 16 against the Indianapolis Colts. And according to Matt Lombardo of NJ.com, he will be activated to 15 three-man roster. So we'll see what kind of wrench that throws and kind of development there at wide receiver for Coleman and for those other guys. But moving forward, something interesting also to take away from the offense uh, from this game. And again, there was a lot more to touch on on the defense in this game. It was a dominant performance by the Giants defense until they took their foot off the throttle up 40 to nothing. But um, was Eli on the boot action? Earlier this week on WFAN, Pat Shermer, Giants head coach, said, Uh, We're using Eli more on boot action. We're moving him more in the, uh, you know, out of the pocket on design on design rollout plays than more than he's done since he's been at Ole Miss in 2003. So I thought that was a funny comment. But, you know, why were they able to to find more success on the boot action they had earlier the season against some other teams? You know, it's funny. It's like the
2: Seinfeld thing. There's a good type of naked and there's a bad type of naked and the naked, the naked boots that they were running so frequently before this game for Manning is not really many guys strengths at at the quarterback position. It's not easy to do. It's not just having the ability to evade the defensive end. It's getting the throwing lane. And that's not really Manning's thing either. Uh, So this game, nice adjustment. It's almost like he's listening to some of the people on Twitter uh, in terms of play calling uh, position. Uh, But uh, basically, um, they left the tight end in to block the end uh, when Manning booted. And that leads, you know, although you're taking a receiver out of the uh, of the equation downfield, and you kind of have to set it up a little bit, so they're they're using bunch formations um, and having that inner receiver basically block down um or yeah pit and they're using outside zone play action to do that it really it really it really nullified any rush that he was going to face and allowed him to kind of pick and choose And right. they're, mostly, they're mostly running basic flood concepts down down the field which by the way like 90 percent of teams are on and that's great and you know what most people don't probably understand is that's like that's a big chunk of what the rams do the rams just dress yeah. it all up yeah, seven different most,
1: ways the most bunch formations in the nfl i saw that in that today when it's bunched to outside zone to a mini a
2: boot, a mini boot or a non boot look and through and flood concepts down the field. And if anyone really thinks that the Rams do anything that differently besides that, it's just not the case. And it's so it's it's not to say the Rams are really can even compare to that in the wrinkles that they provide. But it's just it's good football and it's easy football because the quarterback has an easy out from both his legs and an angle to the sideline, and it totally, totally helps their pass pro against Fronts, they're going to need it. to help, that, that type of help this week, um, for sure. Uh, so I would definitely think that they're going to basically kind of rinse and repeat that game. That's of the game plan.
1: Yeah, and we can. I mean, we're gonna. I'm going to move on to the defense here, Nick. But we could touch on Eli. We do it almost every week. I don't really. <laughs> do at this point, I think we know where we're at on them. I know you were. Uh, I was a little bit harsh on him last week. I think people told me that, but I, <laughs> from the notes you sent me about your your review of this game in all twenty two, you really thought he didn't have a very good game. I mean, I don't know if I was the, right there with you at this point. It is what it is with Eli. I think. Um, I think. So. Him, I think he's better than a lot of people on Twitter really understand because I think they just don't understand how bad some of these other quarterbacks are in the NFL. And I think the Giants fans actually find those fans finally got to look at like how bad it could be if you just throw a rookie like Laletta in there. And I know, I know, Nick. Um, you know, this is what I want to transition to your your thoughts on Laletta. And I, I know it's it's hard to evaluate Laletta. In this game, he did get a full quarter, as Pat Shermer said. But as Pat Shermer also said, the Giants were in their mode of, of the game where they were going run, run, pass, no matter what. On first <laughs> it's super hard to evaluate a quarterback when you're not giving him some play action passes on first down and some, and you know, it's a little bit of creativity there. But overall, I mean, aside from just the play calling, the positions he was in, Nick, I did think he looked like a rookie out there. And I did think that, like, you know, everything I thought about how the if they're playing to win now, everything i thought before about how maybe, you know, Laletic could help them by opening up some things in the run game in the red zone, all that stuff, i i am not really there i i am not t- totally there anymore with any of that Nick because, you know, Eli Manning is what he is right now and i know again, like i said, i know there were some things you didn't like about his game uh against the Redskins, but there's some things he does that just a rookie quarterback can't do as far as identifying uh, uh every identifying the defense pre-snap um and making throws uh you know with the with what with the arm talent he still has so i don't know i kind of want to get your take on overall giants quarterback situation with a fo- more of a focus on what you saw from oletta
2: so yeah so let's start with oletta
1: and kind of work backwards um
2: i know he you know statistically box score wise it was pretty bad and looking at it the box on the broadcast tape, it's it's pretty bad and he threw an interception and you know it wasn't very good and like dan said it's a quarter and and the, and the the coach was kind of protecting him a bit by running, by basically running so much, and that's totally cool. And I think you're seeing a kid for the first time get out and kind of crap himself a little bit, and that's part of what the quarterback position is um, as for a guy this young in this, this early in his career. What was interesting, though, is actually there are some green shoots there in those snaps. I know there are only a few snaps of it. It's like it's so limited, as Dan said. Um, but, like, if you kind of look at – The biggest issue where he had, like all quarterbacks, that when Dan says he looks like a rookie, what does that usually mean? His play speed is like slow motion, and so when the play speed is slow motion, like that first bootleg throw that everyone thought was such a great throw that he put on the money that I forget the receiver who dropped it, he was actually like like three beats late on that. Yeah. And so, and he still, and he put the ball, the placement there was fine, but it's like, you're going to see that type of thing where it's like, wow, that was really late. And if, if he had hit him where he needed to, or his second or third read, which he should have been on almost by that time, you know, he, you would have had a completion, um, probably not a first down, but a completion on the interception. It's funny to see him struggle with Hank. This was a Hank concept. Um, and it was a deep Hank concept. You know, like It seems like whenever Shermer gets, these young quarterbacks in these situations, or at least with, with Loletta, he's tried to challenge him very early with the plays that he has called, throwing a hand concept like a deep hand concept, which is usually usually the, all the curls and the sits are somewhere between the six to ten yard range. Everyone on this third down play was was at least in the ten to fourteen yard range, so it's just longer down the field. And the first read in Hank is that sit route. And he, people thought he stared it down. Well, it's kind of hard because there's nowhere else to look because he's the only player in the middle of the field. He right. kind of has to get his head – he has to get his headgear adjusted more to that. And quite simply, in this play, it was just play speed, and he basically made kind of the wrong read slash the Mike Linebacker makes a great play and basically jumps it in the pattern match that he's in. But if he comes off that and makes the curl and looks at the curl, the curl's wide open. The design is there. It's just something that, again, play speed was there, play speed was there. But then by the third or fourth series – I'm not going to go on forever on this because I know it was only a few snaps – but you saw the play speed improve in game. And I think that's cool because you start to at least see a guy get it. And people would say, well, what do you mean? The incompletions are still there. What the hell are you talking about? The third down and five where he's facing man coverage and he's got a three-by-one set to the right. So he's got, three, he's got trips to the right. And they're running their usual smash concept to the right. And against man coverage, he's looking for that deep slot fade. And he takes basically his two and a half step drop, quick, quick, his quick three step moves, looks right, and the defensive back is topping that seam route like massively. There's no way that's going to come there. And what you see, and this is going to sound like a stupid statement, I have not seen this in 40 hours of Giants tape. He takes his left foot and goes to immediately goes to the other side of the field and throws a really crappy wheel route. But the fact that that's where he went, that was actual processing. He looked, he saw. Man coverage. He see, He uses elimination and isolation to then go up to the backside where he has what he believes is his best option. That I was like, what the hell is that? You know, like that is something that you don't you usually don't see that type of basically play speed and ability to get to the backside of a read from the quarterback in place. So again, terrible throw, <laughs> nowhere near where it should have been. But there was actually process. There was actually progress in game. And the other throw I just mentioned, he was changing the protections, which I was obviously that's part of the game, but he did so on one throw he didn't make where he kind of set himself up to bootleg to the left. And it was kind of a gutsy play. There's a, there's an element to his game that's a little almost reckless, even though he doesn't have maybe the arm to for many people to label him that way. Um, Anyway, I just think it's there, just a couple different points that are outside of what the normal box score, what box score would say. Overall, the projection is still kind of the same. He's got a lot to prove, um, but there's a little bit more here than maybe people would kind of notice at first.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Um, and we'll have a lot more to talk about in the offseason regarding Lolleta and Manning and the quarterback. Uh, situation moving forward but let's let's uh, table that for now um, and move on to the defense there's a lot of good things to talk about where where do you want to start here Nick because I got a lot.
2: <laughs> you I mean dude you go because I mean there's they, they they shut they basically brought the house and shut down a quarterback that was they squashed a bug that needed to be squashed and that's kind of a bad thing to say for a guy but you know they killed the bunny whatever phrase you want to use there was basically no there was no prisoners taken in this side of the game
1: well, let me start then with James Petra, who I thought had an excellent game plan to stop uh, the Redskins offense with Mark Sanchez at quarterback. And one of the things I loved was a play he called early in the game uh, where the ball got batted down at the line of scrimmage on a blitz by Grant Haley, um, who's lined up basically as a linebacker um, on this play. And and another Giants defender who got in there, 48, I think I guess it was, uh, is it 48 Davis or Alleg- it's a legway? I guess. Yeah, legway, like, yeah. Legway, like, yeah. And – The ball got batted down, but otherwise, it's a pick six from Alec Ogletree, who's kind of rotating from the middle of the field down to the slant. As as, I guess that's a robber role, is that correct? Uh, he's actually pattern matching
2: number whoever's the cross, but yeah, it's rat slash it's rat slash um robber, kind of however however
1: you want to play. Ends up being batted down literally. I've watched this play over and over on all 22. I put it on Twitter too. It's a pick six. If, If if Sanchez doesn't get the ball batted, he's just not even looking. Uh, at Ogletree rotating down. And what the Giants do is they run a similar concept a few, you know, a few possessions later when the Redskins are backed up first and first and ten from their own one. And it turns into the ball's batted again, but this time it's tipped in the air. And Curtis Riley, who's playing uh, you know, who's rotating down like Ogletree was on the play earlier makes the interception and returns it for a touchdown. So, you know, these are just the type some of the things I've seen from Boettcher, uh in this game um, over the past few games, really that I've liked. And I thought he called an excellent game. Like you said, just to squash any threat of offense from, uh, from Mark Sanchez and the Redskins. Um, you know, a few players who stood out to me, Alec Ogletree, I know, you know, there's a, he's a very controversial player, um, <laughs> fans this season. Uh, you know, he's not good in one-on-one coverage against Tariq Cohen and Theo Riddick. They're 175 pounds. They're really hard to defend in one-on-one coverage, uh, believe it or not, when you're 240 pounds or whatever Ogletree is. But, you know, and he's – and, you know, he misses some tackles. He's not, he's not the best when you run right at him. But he makes plays sideline to sideline, he is around the football – all the time, I see it every time I watch this team on all twenty-two. He could have had that pick-six, like I talked about. He did have an interception, another one. <laughs> Five—is it five interceptions yeah. as a linebacker? I mean, you don't just luck your way into five interceptions. He is around the football all the time. He made an excellent run stop on a second and two play where the Redskins tried to stretch, and or I believe it was either second, is actually second and seven. The Redskins tried to stretch. He got around, uh he made a stop for a massive loss he's just all around the field to me. And I think he, there's a lot more good than bad with Ogletree. Is that, is that similar to where you're at with him?
2: Yeah. The more I go through with this, I'm realizing if you take a big contract at all in New York, or you're getting paid a lot, you got to be careful because guys
1: want the world from you. And you just got to be, you have to be the best player in the history of the world. To- yeah.
2: And so it's just tough. I mean, look, like I highlighted, there's, 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 there's clear weaknesses, but it's a, like Dan saying, it's a trade-off and he isn't, he's a man with a bigger contract. That's, <clears throat> almost kind of outside of his play when you want to evaluate his play from a certain perspective, um, especially like we're doing kind of game to game. And so for sure it, his athleticism flashes and it's how do you get him in that athleticism mode, the, the best without basically, you know, basically harnessing his, his strengths and, and, and hiding his weaknesses basically.
1: Yeah. And you know, again, around the football, all the time, this to me, for 15, whatever he's going to cost against a cap, that's going up to 190 million anyway and the Giants are one of the few teams that use all their cap, I'll take it. Because if he wasn't in this game playing 100% of of every single game, I think that fans just don't realize how bad this defense would look with another guy in there uh, playing the role that he plays. But we'll move on uh, to another player who stood out to me. Really, really impressive player who I think will end up being a keeper on this roster moving forward. That's Grant Haley, the undrafted uh, rookie free agent out of Penn State. Uh, Was 190 pounds at the combine, and yet there were plays, Nick, in this game where he was basically lined up as a weak side linebacker or as a linebacker, and he was filling, and he was he he plays physical around the line of scrimmage against in the run game as a blitzer. He is a real – I think he's a football player for sure, and I think he's a keeper. Did, where are you at with that? Did you notice him as well?
2: Yeah, so I, I guess we
1: should kind of back up too and kind of explain.
2: Um, because of the linebacker depth, right. Betcher has been playing – whether you want to call it dime or nickel, it, it's, it's basically dime, but because the, the money backer is a, is, is usually Alec like Ogletree and basically either Tay Davis or Goodson. Right. But when they run their dime, it's Ogletree and insert X without Collins. And so it's basically split between Chandler and um, Haley at times. Haley usually later in the down, just because of his size Chandler is, is more physical and almost more physically imposing. Um, I would say. And so, yeah, so Haley, that's where Haley gets around the box because he's often that kind of piece where in, in normal nickel, he's on the, he's the nickel back, So he's the star slash nickel for those that follow Nick Saban. And so he's going to be going, he's usually set to the field, to the wide side of the field. But in this game, you kind of saw that all mix up and go all over with the various, various, various coverages they threw um, at, at, and, at, and with the goal of freezing Um, of uh, freezing the quarterback Sanchez. So the point for Haley is like, yeah, when they run, he's got to be, he's part of the run fit and that's tough as a 190 pound guy. And um, it's something that he's definitely getting, he's going to get better at it. And that again, an off season in an NFL weight room is going to be huge for him. And I think that's almost the biggest, the biggest part of really getting a handle on his projection.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, he's a, he's a he's a definite player from what I've seen. But uh, another rookie who stood out to me and actually stood out to you based on your notes, Nick, was Lorenzo Carter. So he obviously had that half sack he, he uh, teamed up with Olivier Vernon for. But what else did you like what, from what you saw from Carter? I
2: think overall, um, he without Collins there, Collins is usually the money backer on nickel. Without Collins there, for all their blitz packages, Ogletree and Carter were basically – movable pieces that would either rush from for design rushes to get them better looks or broken off in coverage in very very versatile coverage spots and assignments that were not that easy and so when you're putting that type of pressure on a versatile uh i I like to use the phrase caffeinated gumby and that's what he looks like on tape he's just kind of long and kind of all over the place in a good way um you know i think that that it's really cool to see as a rookie because. A lot of guys are asking, like, hey, what kind of edge rushers are the Giants looking for um, in free agency and going forward in the draft? Because obviously we know that they're going to need to basically get more depth there. And overall, I just think that it's like it's closer to the mode of mold, the versatile mold, mold of Carter versus the, you know, a lot of guys are kind of talking about like, you know, hey, what about like Graham in Philadelphia? And it's like, wow, you're talking about the exact opposite end of the spectrum yeah. in terms of a, of a pass rusher. In fact, it couldn't even be. It's almost like they're playing a different sport. And so. I don't, you know, I really see that all the players going forward are going to be closer to that. And it's not going to be like, hey, can we, re- can we replicate Chandler Jones for all of those traits that he has as like a freak? I think it's more of, can you get guys that are assignment sound, incredibly athletic, and incredibly versatile, and then in growing in the other areas, they need to get better. Because to finish the point on Carter, if he can get bent, if he can get bent and get his, and in his steps, get his, enhance his use of hands and get his feet parallel to the line of scrimmage in all of his speed rushes and turn that corner, this guy's gonna be dangerous. But until he gets that, he's just not there yet in the overall 1v1 passing moves. He flashes, but it's just, it's, it's a, it's a work in progress and it's getting there.
1: Yeah, and it will get there. And you mentioned something interesting and I think it's something really important for Giants fans to consider. And Dave Gettleman talked about this this past offseason. when he was in Carolina, they went about a different way for um, basically crafting their draft board, but also for crafting how they are for planning how they're going to craft their defense. And they're looking for different kinds of players on the defensive side of the ball. Like you said, versatile players who can who are fast, who are athletic and can play multiple roles. On that, in that second and third level, especially in that second level where, you know, you've seen Betcher use guys like Haley and Chandler and, you know, Collins and, 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 you know, hybrid linebacker type roles this season. And and Carter fits that mold. And I think because the Giants are going to be looking for something different than most teams look for, um, kind of some unique way of, of second level, third level defenders that they've kind of crafted and they've kind of you know, developed, it's going to help them because fewer teams are going to be competing with them for these type of players in the draft and in free agency, and it's going to give them players that – it's going to have players fall that you, they they have much higher on their draft board and they believe is a much better fit for their specific defensive scheme than other teams might believe. Um, basically basically just making the betweener point,
2: Right. It's 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 a betweeners bastion working yeah. you know, in, in bet for, for Betcher and I think that's that's exactly the right way to look at it and the last point I'll make here just really quickly because it just came to me and it's a piece that I'm I'm really kind of chipping away at and it's not going to be here anytime soon um, but Betcher spoke at the at the uh, George, University of Georgia um, their their clinic uh, their coaches clinic this past year and I'm just realizing it's kind of hitting me like an anvil in the head that the influence of Kirby Smart on this defense right uh, specifically is huge. And then you start looking at Lorenzo Carter. It's like, Holy shit. Like, okay, got it. Like that's the mold. That's what they're looking for. Cause that's where the pattern match is coming from, by the way. Like that's a hundred percent where it's coming from. So anyway, really cool stuff. And just looking to kind of dig more there.
1: Yep. No doubt. And then, you know, we couldn't possibly go through this podcast without, cause this is just the guy who flashed all the time to me on the all 22 without mentioning Olivier Vernon. I thought this was his best game I thought there were five, six plays where he disrupted the quarterback. He played awesome uh, this game, and you know, it's 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 it is what it is at this point with Vernon. He is a good player when he's fully healthy and fully engaged um, in 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 rushing the path, you know, and playing this game. But he's now been injured for the majority of two of his three seasons with the team, and you know, he has a twenty million dollar cap hit. That's one of the highest paid defensive you know edge rusher edge rushers in the NFL. So I mean. Moving forward, there will be a time and, and place that we will discuss this. But did you kind of agree with me that Vernon was really good in this game?
2: Yeah, I would put it a couple of degrees lower. But Flash, okay. um, Flash though, with his long arm, his long arm move was pretty solid. This game, his ability in the bull rush to basically convert a bull rush to something else to finish the quarterback. Yeah, he he he, he did his job. But I'm still not seeing that dominating presence that they kind of want, um, and or at least I think they want uh, from from that to, for that player to flash for that type of number. Um, but anyway, yeah, no, definitely a solid game, but we're more than solid. Definitely a good game. But I wouldn't – I would almost say the first ha- – I'm still looking for the first half of that Philly game in week six. That level of like, yeah. hey, this guy's here, and he's and he's basically a complete pain in the ass to block.
1: Yeah, and maybe he will never get there. I mean, he might have right. might have been at that level for a little bit of the 2016 season, his first season. He finished the year with uh, seven and a half sacks over his final nine games after he was injured for the first half of that season. Um but you know at this point you know and we'll talk about this more later i as he's not a part of my future plan if i was giants gm just based on the injury the injury history i can't i can't afford to have these type of guys on the roster with multiple nagging injuries every season he's been here um at that cap pit. but you know we'll move on anyway but <laughs> Brings me to my next point uh, on the defense, Nick, which I, which is, you know, I found interesting from the notes you sent me because you were one of his supporters earlier this year, and you might be starting to come around to the idea that maybe it's time to bench safety Curtis Riley. Is that where you're starting to starting to come to, Nick?
2: I think he's starting to get in the hot seat um, because you've got a player who I just you got to see the consistent physicality that he showed in the first six weeks, and if you're not going to get that, I think that that's where it starts. You just be. Specifically because you're seeing it from Haley and Chandler, yeah, and, right. and so when you see that contrast, it's like, hey, like all these positions on the back end are wide open. And by the way, they're not dependent on each other. There's a lot of, for some reason, there's some myth that like or idea that like a free safety needs a good strong safety to work in tandem with, and like they're completely two different positions. But the key for Betcher is you got to be able to play both. And they're, but they're on different sides of the field. Really, on a, on a play-by-play basis, have very little to do with each other. Um, so, what he what he's showing is is his 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 strength is now his FBI. But I got to say, the big hits are not there. The consistent physicality is not there. We really, only flashed on one play this past week. And yeah, when you're seeing Chandler handle middle field safety duties like he did a few times this game and kind of more complex coverages, that's a big deal. The biggest thing holding back Chandler right now. Um, is just a, is being assignment sound, and it's Haley too because Haley blew some assignments in the second half. Uh, so that's just that part of the game that has to get to, that for any rookie has to get better, and will uh, just with more snaps and time. But until they get to that point, that's I think that's part of why you're still seeing Riley in that in that kind of role, not not like an official, you know, like challenge or whatever you want to say for that starting role.
1: Yeah, and. That will be something interesting that they'll obviously have a lot more tape on to look at in the offseason and see where they want to go moving forward with those defensive backs. But is there anything else you wanted to touch on from the defensive side of the ball that stood out to you? I mean, we could talk about B.J. Hill who had an awesome game, I thought. He's just a, a force on that line. Um, but anything, anything else specifically that stood out to you?
2: I think you got to give a shout-out to Morrow because although the, the Redskins line didn't
1: really bring their
2: – half of those guys
1: have to be hurt because they just – a lot of injuries on that Redskins line.
2: Yeah, especially at the tackle position. Those tackles are usually much better than this, than, that, than what they put They're on they They're definitely playing hurt. Yeah, and so uh, – but Morrow, though, showed – you know, he they they had him at, at the uh, – in nickel, they had him on the outside, on the edge, playing a fair – a little bit. And on early downs, I kind of like that. When you have a fully healthy squad and you're going against a really good team, I like that, that, that ability. again, more versatility because the front's changed a lot this game too. Uh, and so that was just all, all good stuff.
1: Yeah, Morrow definitely – I mean, Morrow had that awesome play on the – when the Redskins tried that end around. But he was just – overall – Definitely stood out to me as well. I mean, they got pieces on that interior D line uh, moving forward. They really do, and I love what Pat Shermer said yesterday on WFAN when they asked him. You know, or, or Francesa asked him. This is like literally the only interview I've heard from him since he became the Giants where he actually opened up and started talking about the roster and the team. But he, you know, Pat Shermer said to him, like, or, or I'm sorry, Mike Francesa said to him, "Are you guys? Do you guys feel like?" you're good with where you're at on the offensive line and maybe you only need like a minor tweak or something moving forward. The offensive and defensive lines, you need like a minor tweak moving forward. And he basically said the way that me and Dave look at it is that we need to keep drafting guys uh, on the offensive defensive line every year, because if you don't do that, it, it, it depreciates in value. You're, you know, you, your assets depreciate and you need to keep, uh, you know, moving forward. And he said, when you get to the draft and you're on the clock, a lot of the times you can be swayed by making that, sexy pick for the for this position player because he said you know it's not easy to, to make to get to take these linemen when you know, it, it, you know people aren't going to look at it as a sexy pick and whatnot but that's how we view it and I really think that's philosophically the right way to build a football team I've said it before I'll say it again um it's not how the Giants philosophically built this team under Jerry Reese there's tons of facts in their draft history to back that up um so you know that's something that stood out to me, and you're seeing it. I mean, the Giants' defensive line has a lot of pieces that are really interesting, and obviously Morrow is one of them. You mentioned and and he and uh, BJ Hills under contract, but Morrow is going to be a free agent this off season. so we'll see what they do there. Um, and, and I believe that Mario Edwards might also be a free agent. I don't think he's restricted, so they have a lot of lot of decisions to make there. But they have a nice core there, so I, I also agree with what you said there. He he definitely stood out. But let's move on to one more thing before we. Uh, transition to a preview to this titans game and that's the special teams it deserves a shout out nick it really does like (laughs) we haven't talked much special teams on this podcast i guess that's not our thing um but listen i've watched this giant special teams for years under tom quinn their former special teams coordinator and under jerry reese who never used those back-end roster spots to improve special teams never signed guys like michael thomas and cody latimer and hamilton the Hamilton, the cornerback they signed uh, on the back end of uh, at the end of September and final cuts, you know, Gettleman wants to use those back end roster spots to help his special teams. And that's exactly what they've done. The special teams is so much better this season from the punt coverage, which is night and day uh, punt. uh, Obviously Algic roses is a pro bowl kicker this year, probably the best kicker in football as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Riley Dixon, you know, may not end up the season with some kind of great net average on his punts or whatever, you know, the metrics they use. But this guy has really good directional punting. He, he hit that punt. He connected on that punt that he downed the the Giants down inside of the one yard line. And that ball landed literally out of bounds at the one. I don't think it even needed to make the the Giants made a great special team play. I believe it was Shepard who got it down there, but that ball, he launched from the 40 from his own 40 and it landed at the, at a bounce mark of the one. I mean, he's a good punter. I think they did a good job trading a seventh round pick for him. I think it was well worth it. So, you know, what did you see? Were you, you know, anything else you want to add on the special teams really? There's special teams all 22. No, I'm
2: just yeah. kidding.
1: You know, not just the 20, all 22. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I, uh, no,
2: no, nothing. And, uh, you know, I, you know, definitely a good spot to, 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 to basically, I think going forward, just to add to all those things, it's just as they as they look to fill the defensive backfield, um, that ability to have them come in and play special teams that way is going to be a big part of what they do, because those are all the players that everyone wants those the same yeah. linebacker slash safety hybrid. So the fact that they're building a core and kind of a foundation that's around is really important because it's not just like disregarded, like just as Dan makes the point he makes as it's been disregarded kind of in the past that, that that's that's a big uptick for sure. Yeah.
1: No longer are the Kelvin Shepherds filling out the linebacker position right. uh, type, the Kelvin Shepherd types. They're putting those athletic guys going up on specials. I mean, it makes a big difference in the long run, and it's definitely improved. But, you no, know, we'll move on to the Titans preview now. This is not going to be an easy game for the Giants. The Titans are not an gr- amazing team. They're 7-6, and six, but a lot of their losses this season came during the period of time when Mariota, Marcus Mariota, their starting quarterback, was dealing with you know, nerve issues in his throwing arm, or I believe it was his elbow, his throwing elbow. And he really wasn't getting the ball out there. Uh, And their offense was completely limited by the fact that Mariota wasn't throwing well. He looked recovered over the last two weeks. And not to mention, they're just a much better team when Derrick Henry's on the field instead of Deion Lewis. I mean, they took them 13 games to figure it out, but, Derrick Henry is a threat. Um, so he's gonna be in I believe that he's gonna basically operate as a lead back in this game. I don't think after last week they can look themselves in the face in the mirror if they if they start if they continue to use Deion Lewis on seventy five percent of the snaps. But this is gonna be a tough game. The the Titans pass defense is one of the best in the NFL. Their overall defense is one of the best in the NFL. Um, where do you they st- they're seven and six. Where do you stand on this game, Nick? Is this a winnable game for the Giants?
2: This is going to be Okay, let's start on the defensive side. On the defensive side, there. This is probably the biggest challenge for Manning, easily since the Bears. But that kind of doesn't describe it the right way. I would say it's it's not that far away from the challenge that the Bears present, right. um, Which most people would go, "What the hell? Like that's that's impossible." it's a like, yeah, from, is good. <laughs> yeah, from a personal perspective, yes, but also for what they do, the way they disguise their coverages uh that's that's gonna be that's gonna be tough and it's gonna be something where they're gonna want simplified simplify 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 against a team that's gonna basically do what the Bears did but they blitzed a fair more a little bit more maybe not statistically but just how they think of the world how Dean Pease thinks of the world as their uh, as their DC in the background that he comes from. So uh, I think the guys are gonna the fans are gonna come to know the name Jarell Casey uh real soon. Uh he's one of the best DTs in the league and that Guard at versus the guard matchup is going to be really tough, and Harold Landry on the edge is going to be tough uh, as well. So, uh, yeah, that that type of thing. I've not I've only watched two games recently. I did a fair amount of the work earlier in the season, especially when they were um, playing the Eagles and against the uh, the Texans the first time. So, um, just kind of a, it was kind of eye opening to see. And then on the offensive side. They've come a long way because they were pretty unfunctional with Matt before as the new OC, uh, basically running a lot of Kyle Shanahan type stuff. And they do that a lot better now. And they've gashed some people with deeper routes. And so I think that it's kind of funny. I think that um, on the, for the offense versus the Giants defense, you're going to, the secondary is really going to be tested in ways that probably people wouldn't think of right away because the last, the last games offensively have been the the best for the, for the Titans. But I think that they definitely can throw those simple play action looks and attack the single high safety. And it's going to be a good matchup. It's going to be a good matchup. I think it's going to be tough. And um, again, a a big, big test and much bigger than the record indicates.
1: Yeah. And we'll see if the giants are able to continue to impose their will on the offensive side of the ball in the run game. Um, Well, Red Ellison didn't practice today on Wednesday had an ankle injury that he suffered late in the win over the Redskins was in deep into the fourth quarter. I question why he was even on the field. Um, and that's unfortunate, but you know, it's going to affect what they do if they, if he's not available to play in this game um, just from a schematic standpoint. And he's really behind, you know, Simonson, you, you you know, Ingram, like we've talked about is not, is not the same kind of player uh, as far as a block, as far as his blocking goes as Ellison. But we'll see what they're able to do. Cause if they're able to impose their will against this run defense after the bears, after doing it against the bears and the Redskins, I'm just going to start to think that this is just a very good rushing team at this point of the season. Um, a very good uh, team that can run the football really well. So that'll be interesting to see. And then on the flip side, like you said, they're going to be tested in coverage. Like they haven't been in weeks. Um, Mariota, his arm looks fine right now. And I do think that this offense is going to get a massive boost from having Henry on the field instead of Dion Lewis. Um, which is something they really haven't done much this season. Um, all right, but is there anything else you want to add on the Titans before we move on to some questions from the listeners?
2: Uh, no, no, that's it.
1: All right, let's dive in then. So we'll start with Jim, who asks, is Jamon Brown playing well enough to be re-signed as a starter or a backup, or is Gettleman so good at drafting O-line that it would be better to have him use one of our mid-round picks uh, and then have a starting right guard on his rookie contract?
2: um i think he is playing well enough but
1: he's not you're seeing the floor for him
2: right now i think uh i think the ceiling is going to be a lot better when he has a full off season with the team and, and a full camp and all that kind of stuff and yeah i think people have to realize when you when they when players get traded it's a big deal From that like the whole season the whole like business revolves around a very like strict schedules and stuff. And he basically was thrown into a completely new situation. It's not to give him an excuse, but I just think that overall, you're not seeing his best, his best football yet. And I think right. you're going to see that. And I think it's okay to, to project there um, versus taking a draft now. To versus taking some of the draft. Now there will be guys that are available that can play in the interior line. So we'll see, I think it's going to be, I think the giants will resign and maybe again, draft someone, maybe in the fourth or fifth, fifth, sixth round, that can play that interior, that interior position as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I do think that he's he's pretty much blown at least one salary. His pass reduction hasn't been great in his games with the Giants, let's be honest there. And again, I think you bring up a really good point here, Nick, that it could just be the fact that he is learning the scheme and he's learning to play with the offensive linemen around him and he's learning you know, everything about being part of the New York Giants. And that could all... Definitely be true, but you know I, I I'm not a big fan of the narrative that since Shimon Brown's been start added to the starting lineup, the Giants' offensive line has been great because really it's just the fact that Nate Solder and Will Hernandez are playing unbelievable football. At least in my opinion, that's the biggest reason for the recent success. um But but having said that, you know he's he, he makes he, he's a good run blocker, and like you said, he could improve in pass direction as he as 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 as, as time moves on and. It's just worth re-signing a player like this, I believe, to have more continuity. They're already going to change over at least one position on the offensive line at right tackle with Chad Wheeler. At least in my opinion, there's no way they can enter the 2019 season with him as the starter. And center could also undergo a change, especially even if they just – or even if they just turn back to Alapio, it's going to be a change. Or Jalapeo, it's going to be a change. So, you know, there's something to say about the continuity they can build. And again, even if you do re-sign him, you can still add other talent and – and, and that just gives you more flexibility in the draft to go to the defensive side of the ball with those second, third, fourth round picks instead of the offensive side of the ball, because let's face it, the defense needs a lot of help. <laughs> you can't just neglect the defense at this point. So that's kind of where I'm at now. Um, Giants Passion asks, Has Corey Coleman shown enough from an on and off field perspective to have a future with the Giants? We actually touched on this in depth oh, yeah. in the podcast, so there's no real reason to rehash it. Um, you know, so we'll move on. Obviously, you can rewind it back if for some reason you didn't hear it. Um, Rob asks, it's sort of outdated um, and an out-of-the-box question, but I believe it's relevant. What is your guys' take on how the Giants scored 30 points against Chicago's defense, and then one week later, the high-flying Rams only scored six? It's a great question. It's something I want to
2: answer. I just haven't looked at the Rams tape yet. Um, yeah, I, it, I, need, I need more time, I need more hours in the day. Uh, but, yeah, it definitely is something that uh, – that I want to kind of figure out and 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 get a sense on because obviously the Chicago unlocked a little bit of things. The guys that I follow and talk to, one thing I have noticed or I haven't heard hearing is that there's a lot of guys open that, you know, basically golf as kind of a one or two read quarterback max and get as much as you can predefined pre-snap was kind of missing some other things. Um, so that's going to be kind of part of it, I think, but outside of that, I don't, I don't know yet. Um, I wouldn't say it, it's funny week to week, you know, I, I, I do not want to blame the Chicago or issue this on the Chicago game, but there are many people thinking that that Chicago was looking forward in the, uh, two right. Rams. And I think that's bullshit, but I, I think that there is something though, I think the game maybe got exacerbated a little bit on some of those runs because of stuff like that on both sides of the equation too, um, meaning they played the Rams really, really well because they were geared up for it. Um, and, but I don't think it overall made the difference. I think you're just only looking at in the edges, and, you know, basically in, in that spread almost if you want to think of it that way.
1: Yeah, and I, I do give some some credence to that, but I also think the fact of the matter is the bear, it's not like the, it was from start to finish where you saw this kind of, this game type of game from the bears. They shut down the giants offense in the first half. And then the giants offense took it to them via the run game in the second half and the play action passing game. So, you know, to me, uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put too much credit on that looking ahead thing, but I do. It's definitely something to consider Nick for sure. And obviously we, hopefully Rob, we can get back to you later on this question when uh, we have more time to kind of look into what happened with the Rams. Um, Benji asks, I know everyone is shitting on Kyle Letta, what do you guys think? <laughs> Something there, if if Ernie Corzy was so gaga over him, right?
2: So definitely, kind of went over that one too. Definitely think there is, but it's you're so you're in the infant stages there. And again, the other side of it too. I think what when I was at this point to it, when Shermer gets the kind of when he kind of chided the media a little bit that like, hey, you got you got your chance to see Loretta this week, and a lot of the people took that that he was basically like kind of crapping on Oleta's ability. I don't think that's really the right way to think of it. But also I think that, you know, for a guy coming in the fourth round, if they're looking to groom a backup to whoever, that's another way to think of Kyle Oleta. Like it's not something where they're still trying to figure out his ceiling. They have no idea what his ceiling is. So, but if that ceiling becomes a backup as a fourth rounder, that's legit. Right. All right, And, and so I think that's kind of the way that it's, it's not about air apparent. It's not about getting him to a spot where he's, you know, he's basically, you know, dictate your you have to play the guy because he's better it's it's more just getting his progress to that right spot and so anyway i think that's definitely working and just and trying to get there
1: and listen guys there's a lot to like about Laletta from what we saw um at richmond and what we saw and the senior bowl from him and nick actually did a really good piece was that on cover one or was that at um was that was that, that was, on- that was still at inside the pylon. Inside the pylon. Nick did a really good piece. You can probably look up just by typing in uh, inside the pylon, Nick Turchin, Kyle Oletta into Google. I bet it'll pop up. And and it broke down, you know, some of what he liked from what he saw on tape from Kyle Oletta at Richmond. And there's a lot to like. He's got a quick release. Like Nick said, even that one play he went over where he missed the wheel route. Um, he worked back to that play and it was probably, you know, has a chance to be a big play if he throws a more accurate pass, but you know, at the same time, he was a fourth round pick for a reason. Um, so, so we'll have to, you know, there's still there's so much, you know, we need to we need a lot more data on this. There's going to be no, need a lot more time to evaluate Lillard fully, I believe. So, you know, give it time. Um, you know, I'm not writing him off by any means just yet because I definitely like some of the things I saw at Richmond as well. Um, Freddie asks, going forward, do you think in 2019, do you think that uh, Dalvin Tomlinson will stay at the nose?
2: The end, yes, because there's nowhere else
1: uh, for him to go. Um, he doesn't
2: have the he doesn't have the versatility to go outside in uh, base as a five tech even, which is inside outside. Right? It's like over. It's you're at the tackle at the tackle level, but there's guys outside of him there. Uh, and basically, the way they interchange him in their nickel over fronts, which again they're in you know, 60 to 70 to 80% of the time, because of how many you know, the percentage of the teams play 11 personnel, um, you know, you're, it's, it's between one or three tech. And so he will be there. Uh, it's whether or not he will be starting.
1: Yeah, that's, that's fair. I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a little more bullish, I guess on thompson and Nick, cause I know Nick has, his, as is, is not a huge challenge fan, but I think he's played pretty, pretty, pretty solid for the most part. Um, but yeah, I, agreed with Nick. There's really nowhere else to play him. So this is where I'll have to be. Um, let's see miss Marcel asks can you talk a little bit about Sean Chandler and the third linebacker they seem to be contributing big time anything on the all 22 that stood out from them
2: yeah I think Chandler's uh Chandler's ability to his willingness to be physical and fit and and playing his his gap in the run fit and we kind of talked about that for where diamond you know and not diamond nickel what they're doing with those guys and then specifically too I didn't break this down on uh, I may have broken this one down on Twitter. I can't remember Um, where he's playing the middle of field safety from um, it's basically a crazy cover three buzz rotation And he's going to deep middle of the field It's kind of a big thing for him to be able to be part of those co- more complex coverages And what most people kind of don't realize is a lot of other teams play like especially in the nfl play super basic Man or zone coverages and when you do that you can have players you can have players focus on technique more um and just kind of master that side of it almost, if you want to think of it that way. Betcher's defense is way more multiple, so it takes a mental hurdles to get there, and it means and it means growing pains for, for, for players like this. Um, so you, what you're going to see is you're going to see developmental players, and, you're, and he is totally a developmental player. Uh, and, and going forward, what you'll, you'll see mistakes, and you'll see good things, and it's, it's being willing to play with those mistakes. And if he can bring enough physicality, to to overwash all those other mistakes that he well probably will make and I think to answer the question I think yes he absolutely is and it's and that physicality gives him maybe a touch more versatility than um, Haley but his background as playing a corner um, for Temple is a big deal uh, so he, he I think he cannot push outside and line up
1: against an, a one and be be good but at the same time he's not
2: he's 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 okay in space is a better way to put it.
1: Yeah, I, I like I said, I really like what I've seen from these young guys, Chandler and and um, and Haley, and and on the WFAN yesterday, Pat Schirmer basically said like we like what we've seen from our young guys who have now gotten the chance to play a lot in the second half, and we for, he said he foresees a lot of these players returning uh, for the 2019 season. Now that doesn't mean as a starter, but as back end roster guys for sure. I mean, it's good to have some roster carryover, especially for a team that has had so much roster turnover from just like just terrible, terrible roster management by the former GM. Um And his regime, Jerry Reese. So uh, I definitely think that he's a part of the solution. Um, that's actually all the questions we have for today, Nick. Uh, so we're going to sign it off there. But um, as usual, guys, if you do enjoy the podcast, please, please, please do us a favor. Rate, review it, subscribe to it. Even if you're already subscribed, give us an unsubscribe and a resubscribe. No, I'm just kidding. But But subscribe to it, download it. Uh, Help us spread the word about the podcast. I know a lot of you guys uh, came over from Big Blue Interactive, the Giants uh, message board and corner forum. Thank you. We've seen a lot of nice stuff over there from you guys who really like the show. I know you guys are the more in-depth fans and I know that the show is catered toward more in-depth fans. I get that. Um, But I think that's what we want to be. And we, we like the niche, the niche community we've created with this. So keep sending us in the questions, keep giving us rate and review and keep following the the work. Anything you guys want to do to help us is much appreciated. Nick, where can we find your work on Twitter?
2: Uh, manic 21 Twitter handle, and my work over at CoverOne.net. And I need to write something. Every time we do a podcast, that we get Inside the Pylon. I need to give them a piece. So InsideThePylon.com
1: as well. Sounds good. And on that note, guys, thanks again for tuning in. And we will talk to you next week. Go Giants.